Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Hello and welcome to your special bonus episode of Danny in the Valley where this week the subject of our five questions gambit is cybersecurity or more pointedly the lack of it and I have found the perfect person to talk about it. His name is Dan Woods and he knows far better than most about what is happening in the darkest corners of the web. But before we go any further, I will let him introduce himself. I'm Dan Woods. I'm the vice president of the Shape Intelligence Center at Shape Security. And uh, prior to Shape, I spent uh, 23, 24 years in various law enforcement and intelligence organizations. So I was a special agent at FBI. I was a case officer at CIA specializing in information operations. I was a beat deputy, working a beat in, in South Phoenix and in East Mesa, uh, which really taught me a lot, frankly, uh, about the criminal mindset. Dan works at Shape Security, which helps many of the world's biggest banks, airlines, and retailers fend off cyber criminals. When I first came across them while I was reporting a story on cybersecurity last year, and anytime I catch up with Dan, I'm always astounded by the new and creative scams he is uncovering. Because behind all the placid trawling that we do across the various websites that we use every day, there's just this cacophony of crooks hammering away at our virtual doors, trying to crack into your accounts, or in one, do in one form or another, just basically take your money, your identity, really anything of value. So in the wake of the Facebook data scandal, Experian, Yahoo, various other breaches, I thought, why not fire five big security questions at him to get a sense of what is happening on the web today? how worried you should be. Uh, Spoiler, very worried. Anyhow, on to the interview with Dan. Here he is. Before we get into the the questions, I just want to talk a little bit about, because you and I have a little bit of history in that you ruined my online life last year when we first met. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So you... Asked for my email address, and within about, it came back about five minutes later after doing whatever you did on the computer and told me what my password was, which was my password for everything that I use. Right. Basically. And so now I have two th- factor authentication. I've got about 18 different passwords, and I spend half of my life trying to remember which password is for which website, and logging in, and then resetting it and resetting it. Anyhow, 
I'm going to put my personal feelings aside. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, thank you for being here. So, like, we're going to, as I dis- as discussed, we'll do five questions to kind of look at the world of cybersecurity, cyber fraud, and what's happening. Okay. And I guess question one, which is the most, like, just a basic question, we'll start there, is, and I was going to reframe this as, like, what it, what are the chances that my account's details are on the dark web? But let's say anybody's. How how prevalent is this that I you could go on the dark web right now and with some basic information find somebody's details out there for sale or in the hands of a bad guy? Uh, unfortunately, I think it's uh, really high. I, I don't think I'd quantify it, but it's very high. When you look on the dark web or look at Pastebin even, you don't have to go to the dark web to find spilled credentials. You just go to Pastebin and, and find What's them. What's Pastebin? Pastebin is an online uh, way for people to share text. And if you just go to Pastebin, just Google Pastebin, you'll, you'll, yeah. it'll be the number one hit. Go there and just do a search for at gmail.com combo list or passwords, and you're going to see a bunch of username and password pairs. So you don't even have to go to the dark web to get usernames and passwords. And that's just free? I can just go yeah, look at that? it's free. Now, a lot of that is stale. It's been... Uh, bought and sold and bought and sold over and over again, and likely all those passwords have been changed. But the point in bringing that up is every one of those passwords that I found on the dark web or on Pastebin, yours including, were all rather short. They weren't really, really strong passwords. I haven't seen many passwords that follow you know, NIST's latest recommendations on password length, where we're talking about, you know, four or five words. These are past phrases, not past words. I'm not finding those, at least I haven't yet, being bought and sold on the dark web. A malware on your computer can, of course, collect those. But I think the majority of all of these credential spills take place when Yahoo is breached or LinkedIn right. is breached. So you keep mentioning this term credential spill. What is that? When somebody compromises an enterprise and gets access to the username and password pairs that are active on their system. Imagine you, know, you log in or you break into company X and steal 20 or 30 million username password pairs that work on their system. And because of the way people reuse their password, someone will take all of those and try them programmatically against the login form of thousands of other sites. Banks and... Yeah, banks, airlines, hotels, retailers. Because of the way people reuse their passwords, we're finding these attacks, what we call credential stuffing attacks. They're successful anywhere from 0.1% to 3% of the time. So when you're you're testing millions of credentials, you start to compromise a lot of accounts. And so those accounts are compromised, and then what, you know, they get in, and then what? We're finding there's this whole ecosystem of bad actors. Some will just get stolen credentials. They don't do anything uh, to monetize the access to whatever accounts that they grant access to. And they'll just sell those credentials. And that's where they make their money. Other people specialize in the monetization schemes. Like if they were given access to an account at a particular retailer, they can turn that into cash somehow. For example, a lot of large retailers have gift cards. And those gift cards can be stored in the online accounts. So if you have access to my online account, you have access to my gift card, and then you can sell that gift card balance on, say, raise.com, which is a, you know, a third-party buyer and seller of gift cards. So well, this leads actually to question two. Can you give a sense of, kind of take us on a tour of the dark web, so to speak, of what are the kind of some of the weird and wonderful ways that the scams that you are finding online? 
ways that this information is being used and, you know, just to give a sense of, you know, how broad and kind of sweeping all of this is. You talk about what types of monetization schemes there are and, and uh, what would constitute an interesting or creative monetization scheme. There are a couple categories, some that are predictable that you'd, you'd expect to attract bad actors, and that's the gift card scheme that I mentioned earlier. Everyone understands gift cards have a monetary value. If you gain access to that, you can turn that into cash. Uh, and then something that uh, we, we understand but didn't see coming was we have a, a large retailer who's a customer, and we're finding that their loyalty points are being used to purchase meat and cheese and then being sold on the local market to restaurants. A meat and cheese scam. Exactly. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing you, you can Google and read a lot about. So they get into compromised accounts. Yeah, and then they use the loyalty points that are in that account. Yeah. Then they actually will walk into a store, into this retailer store, and use the, that credit to purchase meat and cheese. And then they will take that meat and cheese and sell it locally to restaurants, presumably for cash. Right. Bad actors will find a way to make money with right. – uh, it's, it's probably this particular group of people have connections in the restaurant uh, industry. So if you have connections to the restaurant industry, uh, that's where you, you tend to go to yeah. monetize your access. I suspect if they had uh, if they had expertise around jewelry, they might monetize that access a different right. way. Do dating sites figure in this at all? Yeah. In fact, they've set the all-time record for percent of automation. A few years ago when I, when I joined Shape, we had a retail customer. We went in line on their login endpoint and we saw – I think roughly around 90, 95% automation. And when we first saw that, we, we thought, well, something must be wrong. You know, that's, that's too high. Double check the numbers. Right. It wasn't wrong. It was, you know, over 90% of all of their traffic at login was automated. We didn't think we were going so to. So not humans on the website. Not humans, just bots. And what was the scam there? Well, this particular retailer had a lot of gift cards and loyalty points. I mean, it's a household name mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just a huge target for their gift cards. And then they just monetize the gift cards. But what does a gift card have to do with a dating site? I'm leading up to the, the dating site oh, oh, the oh, highest oh. percentage of automation because we were at 90, 95%. For that retailer. For the, for the retailer. Yeah. We never thought we'd, we'd beat that until yeah. we went in line at the dating site. And that was north of 99% of all automation was automated. Basically, effectively yeah. 100% of a dating site's traffic was robots. That's right. What's the use case there, the monetization scheme? They had a lot of legitimate users, but they didn't have to log in over and over again. You log in once and you stayed logged in. You know, you have a cookie that keeps you logged in. These uh, criminal organizations would create a lot of fake accounts, and all the fake accounts, not surprisingly, were associated with beautiful women um, (laughs) or handsome men. Right. And uh, they would use these accounts to engage other legitimate account holders in, you know, expressions of you know, romance, like, wow. Catfishing. You know? Yeah, exactly. They monetize it by saying, you know, I'd love to come visit you, but I can't afford the airline ticket. So if you could just wire the money for the airline ticket, and then I'll come see you. And then, you know, they'll wire the money for the airline ticket, and then there'll be some last minute request to change the flight, everything they can do to get as much money out of the uh, mark as they can. So we were able to uh, thankfully identify all of those automated logins, which identified all of the fake accounts, which allowed the customer to uh, take action on all of those, close those accounts, and provide a much uh, you know, richer dating experience. But if that. I was a guy on that site, 
And all of a sudden, all these beautiful women were gone. I'd be like, well, this, this isn't a very good service. <laughs> well, not all of them aren't gone. Uh, just the ones expressing interest in you. <laughs> exactly. So I'd be like, God, maybe it's, maybe it's me. <laughs> well, uh, when I was at uh, CIA, we were trained that when you're traveling abroad and uh, you're sitting at a bar having a cocktail and a beautiful woman sits next to you, you're not that good looking. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, and that, that, would happen, that would happen frequently. And uh, you'd always have to remind yourself, this doesn't right. happen in the States. It shouldn't happen here. <laughs> so you'd put an end to the conversation right. and go back to your room. Question three, that was perfect lead-in, which is, in terms of the threats, is the kind of the era of the hacker in his basement, is that kind of over? Is it criminal gangs? Is it state actors? Who is the biggest threat, and what's the sophistication of those? Threats? Well, most of these tools have become somewhat commoditized. Anybody can go and download Sentry MBA, uh, which is a credential stuffing tool. It's free. Uh, then you can go online and buy a configuration uh, file for it and uh, load it up and launch uh, a rather, you know, effective attack against a lot of sites through, you know, tens of thousands of proxies. It doesn't take a lot of sophistication. Everything is rather commoditized. So you if I want to say tomorrow, mm -hmm. I want to become a hacker. I want to become Why wait till tomorrow? You can yeah, do it Yeah, I could do today. it this afternoon. We could do it right now. That's right. How much would it cost me to like, I don't know, get a million credentials Download this tool, which I can configure to, you know, bank website X, and then just start trying to break in. You can become a, a criminal for free. You're not going to meet with a lot of success. I mean, you can get millions of credentials for free. You can get Sentry MBA for free. You might have to pay $40 for the configuration file, or you could just figure out Sentry MBA on your own and, and configure it yourself. And you could uh, use a bunch of open proxies for free. Many of the proxies will be blocked. Some of them aren't proxies anymore. Many of the credentials that you get for free are no longer valid. So you're, you'll be a criminal, but your right. success rate will be pretty low. If you want to start using dedicated proxies that are just yours, or you want to maybe spend money on You're talking VPN. about proxies. What exactly do you mean? You're, you're talking about a machine out there on the internet right. that uh, will serve as a proxy between you and your target. Right. So when the target becomes aware of the attack, the attack goes back to the proxy and not to you. It really isn't that expensive. You can rent a, a botnet, which you know has hundreds of thousands or even millions of uh, computers all over the world that are under would be under your control. So you launch the attack from the botnet or from open how, how much can I run a botnet for? It varies depending upon how distributed it is, what types yeah. of operating systems they are. What you want is something that is not necessarily highly distributed. You want something that closely matches the distribution of the legitimate users on your target site. And that's where a lot of attackers go wrong. Right. They think it's important to come from all over the world. Well, it might be that the legitimate users of this particular site don't come from all over the world. And since you're coming from all over the world, you're anomalous. But the short answer to your question is a few hundred dollars and you could become an effective computer hacker. You're going to profit from it. So when... It's <laughs> <laughs> just in case this journalism thing doesn't work out, I guess. <laughs> And so the other question is, is that what you're dealing with? I mean, in terms of what you're seeing, in terms of the sophistication, is it states like, you know, Russia, North Korea, et cetera? Or is it more kind of effectively organized crime? Look, every time I hear a computer expert talk about this topic, I, I tend to roll my eyes because 
their false flag operations are r- rather easy. I could be anybody I want on the internet. If I want to launch an attack and have it come from Russia, it'll come from Russia. If uh, I want to launch an attack and have it come from China, it'll come from China. Yeah, Basically you can, rent a botnet in China to— That's right. right. So case in point is we had an attack against one of our customers. It was a, an attack against the create account endpoint. They attempted to create, I think, about 20,000 accounts. You look at the domain of the email addresses associated with all of these accounts, they all came back to China, Yahoo-like portals in China. If you uh, looked at the IPs and the autonomous systems or ISPs from which the attack was launched, it all came from China. Everything indicated it was coming from China. Well, this particular attack was a replay attack, a replay of a human interaction. So we were able to look into the archives of our data and find the original human interaction. We were able to find the human whose interaction was replayed 20,000 times. That human turned out to be a Chinese national working in the northeastern United States. This particular person so used— So this, this, this quote-unquote Chinese attack was one dude in, on the East Coast. In Boston. But it, everything looked like it, it, the attack was coming from China because he used the tools and resources with which he was familiar. Attribution is very, very hard. It's easy to find the IP address from which the attack originated, but you know, without a quick access to the machine— you know, that is at that IP address to figure out who is connecting to it remotely, who is going through that remotely, you're not going to uh, be able to find out who's behind the attack uh, very effectively. And right. that's, that's best done by law enforcement. They have legal process they could, they could use to obtain that information, but they have to do it very, very quickly. And it has to be with a country uh, with which we have some sort of relationship. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Right. I imagine you can kind of make a, an educated guess at what type of attack, or at least in terms of the sophistication, because it feels like a lot of this is about mimicking humans on a mass scale. That's is exactly that right? what it is, right? They start to, as you said, get better and better at impersonating humans. So they can kind of recreate through programming effectively, like the way the mouse moves on the screen. Exactly. The frequency or how the whatever the password is the timing the timing between keystrokes right all of that can be programmed to look like a human it can these sophisticated attackers do that this is the the problem this is why we're successful they're attempting to look like humans they're trying to blend in with the noise of the humans but they don't really know what the noise looks like they can guess they can guess what the most popular 
browsers are on this network. They know the most popular browsers in the world, but that, that may not be the most popular browser for this particular customer. Right. They could come from all over the world, but maybe... In other words, there's always some chink in the armor. There's something, yeah. And that's what uh, you know we, we seek out and find. But as soon as you mitigate based on that anomaly, you're giving the attacker feedback. And once they retool, you have fewer anomalies with which right. to identify the attacker. Over the last several years, we've blocked billions of attacks, and there's probably been a handful of attackers. We've gone to the customer and said, we've reached a point where we no longer want to mitigate this attacker in real time Why? because we're down to just a few signals. We mitigate this attacker on these few signals. They're going to retool, and then it'll be very difficult to pick them out among all the humans. So it's kind of like trench warfare. Yeah. What we'll do then is uh, flag the attacker in real time, and then let the customer take some sort of programmatic action on that, like reset the account. That way, the attacker isn't monetizing his or her access, but they don't know why. They don't know where in the process that they're being mitigated. Right. So one of the things I was just, again, as a, as a consumer, I use Google and Gmail like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of this, you know, that used to be things like the CAPTCHA, like the weird signs, you know, sure. click the boxes where there's a sign or these letters or whatever. And now it's like this, I am not a robot. And that feels like a step down in a way, but I don't know if it is in terms of their attempts to get legitimate traffic or kind of find illegitimate traffic. All CAPTCHAs in, in all of its forms are uh, just a speed bump to attackers now. I created a video just a few weeks ago on how to defeat the I'm not a robot checkbox. And that's the latest thing, right? That's yeah, the, that's, that's, that's the latest thing, and it's, it's actually quite easy to defeat. The reason why, it isn't through some technical means. They do it through click farms. There are people in third world countries who just sit at a computer all day long solving captures for people who are launching automated attacks. So I guess you're really that not... That sounds like a terrible job. Yeah, it is. Sadly, they're just exploiting you know, these impoverished countries, yeah. and you know, they could work 16-hour days and make $3 U.S. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess... Compared to the alternative for them, it's, it's a living. So I guess they're not really defeating the CAPTCHA. Humans are clicking the checkbox. You know, millions of humans all over the world solving CAPTCHAs all day f- to enable automated attacks. So CAPTCHAs, right. they're ineffective. And quite honestly, they create a lot of friction for the legitimate users. I don't know how many times I've encountered it as a human. You know, I check the box and now it's asking me to pick all the street signs out of the pictures. And I pick all those and it's telling me to pick the highways yeah. and I'm just frustrated. I just said, you know, I'm fine, I'll go, I'll go buy this gift card somewhere else. Question four. One of the things I don't quite understand is, you know, you have this uh, saying, a victimless crime. This seems often like a, a criminalless crime. I mean, you almost never hear about hackers actually getting caught, which makes me think, does the law reflect kind of the reality of what is happening online right now? The, the laws are far behind, uh, as they always are. Uh, technology moves very, very quickly, so the laws are way behind. But that's not what's preventing a lot of these attackers from being criminally prosecuted. I'd say the primary reason is a lot of the victims don't want to involve law enforcement. The companies. They, yeah, they don't typically want to involve law enforcement. They would because, for example, like a bank. Stop. Banks must be like the bit, one of the biggest targets, I presume. Sure, yeah. How often does it happen that, you know, a bank gets hacked, they lose $10 million of, you know, five bucks from everybody's account, and they just actually on the sly replenish that five bucks and say, okay, let's just not talk about that? I don't know uh, how often that happens. It may even happen to my account, frankly. I mean, it's hard to... To always reconcile, you know, your account yeah. every month, 
I could have been victim to that. But I think that the concern is they just don't want the headlines that their customers have been, customer accounts have been compromised. Yeah. And the best way to avoid the headlines is to uh, just make it stop and not involve law enforcement. I have seen a couple of cases where law enforcement was involved, and there were very aggressive and creative efforts at uh, identifying who the actors were, and then arrests were made. It's very, very rare. Right now, the penalty for, uh, for launching an automated attack and getting blocked, sadly, is you, you get blocked and you have to try again. They're, they're, so there's no effect. There's no. There's no um, corollary to say attempted robbery, well, online effectively because that's effectively what you're trying to. Yeah, you're, you're trying to break in. Yeah, actually, I believe in California they have a, a state statute that makes it a crime if you violate the uh, the user agreement at the website. Right. But that's unique to California. I don't think every every state has that. Federally, there are some computer tampering uh, laws that are violated when you launch a automated credential stuffing attack. But uh, think about if you launch an automated, it's hard to even say it's an attack when you're talking about creating accounts. Let's say I go to a retailer and create an account under the name John Smith at johnsmithgmail.com. And then I create another one, uh, johnsmith1 at gmail.com. I just create lots of these accounts. Mm -hmm. There's some question as to whether or not that's even illegal. Unless, of course, there's a real John Smith whose identity I'm stealing. Okay, then right. it would be illegal. But then what would be the point of doing something like that, creating a bunch of accounts? Well, if I'm in, if uh, the company is offering some sort of incentive, maybe I get a, something free on my birthday. So I create a bunch of – I create 365 accounts, each with a, okay. a different a birthday. A million John Smiths, and then you get all these – I get all the benefits. Yeah. Right. So these companies, they have to consider what automation can accomplish when structuring their loyalty programs. I don't know if you've seen the movie Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. I have not. Well, uh, it's one of Adam Sandler's only serious roles. Part of that story is about David Phillips. I think that's his name. Years ago, he bought a lot of Healthy Choice pallets full of pudding because they had a, a kind of a, a flaw in their frequent flyer program. Every time you purchased it, you, you got so many frequent flyer miles. Right. So he bought pallets of it rather than limiting, you know, two per customer. Right. He bought pallets and got over a million frequent flyer miles. You know, it's a lot of pudding. Yeah, it's a lot of pudding. And I think he donated uh, most of the pudding, and so he even got a tax deduction on top of it. My point is, is that if a company is going to offer you something for free on your birthday or offer you, you know, 500 frequent flyer miles for joining their loyalty program, and then you do that over and over and over again, I don't know, is that innovative and creative or is it a crime? That's up, up to right. the, uh, the lawyers to decide. So you've been doing this for a while. How does this, what can the normal person do? I mean, is it simply get a password manager or, you know, two-factor authentication and you're pretty much okay? No, I'd say a couple things. I'd say those two you mentioned, those are important. And then not just have a password manager, but but really have, you know, long and strong passwords. We're talking about maybe 40 or 50 characters long and have a unique password for every single account. And with a password manager, that's very easy. Second, you'd, you'd want to, uh, I think, keep your browser updated. Make sure it's updated and patched. Using an old browser leaves you vulnerable. Third, you know, don't click uh, links to any... Why, are, why do old browsers leave you vulnerable? They haven't been patched. The longer a browser is out in the wild, the more and more vulnerabilities right. are found. So updating your browser, keeping it patched is, is just good, good hygiene. And uh, definitely second factor authentication. 
most companies now will enable give you an option for two FA. Yeah. I would I would definitely uh, sign up for that. Not maybe the text messaging, but to use uh, you know like a Google Authenticator, something right. like that on your phone would uh, would be useful. And then I think I think finally is you have one dedicated computer for your online banking. You don't do any web surfing using that computer. You just have one computer. One computer just for banking. Just for, effectively your own, like a separate ATM in your house. Yeah, you just use that one computer for. Why? You're going to use another computer for all the general web yeah. surfing. And as yeah. you're doing this general web surfing, that's when you're vulnerable. You might visit a page that exploits your browser. You might click a link that exploits your browser. There's a lot Drop of things you can do. Drop some malware in there. That, yeah, right. there's a lot, a lot you can do. And at least then the computer that is compromised isn't the one you use to do your online banking. Because presumably online banking is the kind of – if I'm an online criminal, cyber criminal, that's the kind of uh, the golden goose. Absolutely. They can do a lot – if they have malware on your computer. Not just get your username and password, but they'll log in from your computer. I'm sorry? Yeah, they'll log in from your computer. So if they have malware on there, there's no reason why they can't open up you know, a port and accept incoming connections and then allow the attacker from anywhere in the world connect to your bank through your computer. In fact, we even have a customer who you go to log in and the malware in the background goes to add a payee and then tries to send $2,500 to that payee. Right. And the bank is smart. They have step-up authentication anytime you're sending money to a new payee. So they challenge the uh, customer with this PIN. Well, the malware knows that, so it just presents the user now with a dialog box asking for the PIN. The user will type in the PIN, and then the login will complete. So now the user thinks that it was just an extra step in this login process. And then also the money transfer will complete. Hugely successful scheme against uh, uh, one of the banks. Of course, now we're able to identify that uh, malware and uh, prevent it from doing that. But it's a hugely successful attack. So malware on on your computer, very, very dangerous. Social engineering as well. Be aware of any time you receive a call. Like, for instance, one one scam is you'll, you'll go to log into your bank and the malware will prevent you from doing it. And then someone from the bank will call you. They're not from the bank, but they have the malware. They call you and say, this is so-and-so from security. We see you're just trying to log into your bank account. We're, we're detecting a problem. Can you do me a favor and log in? Don't tell me your name and password. So they, they take on the yeah, persona yeah. of what a yeah. security company or the security personnel would say. Say, go ahead and log in again. And now they've got malware. They're doing all this with their bank behind the scenes, uh, transferring money. And we're talking about... Not 2500 but thousands and thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah. Typically, they're targeting small to medium-sized businesses with business accounts. And they're targeting the, you know, the person that uh, handles wire transfers and bill payments for these companies. So th- this can be thirty-five, dollars $50,000 at a time that is stolen right out of these accounts. Anytime you're on the phone with somebody who purports to be security, you should be calling them. You should be calling the number right. that right, you're right, fine. Right. Even if, yeah. I was going to say uh, call the number that's on their website, but even that the malware can change. That's why I go back. Do your online banking with one computer with one, and a standalone. Right. You don't surf the internet. Have another computer. I would even recommend on that other computer having some virtual machines. You know, if you're going to uh, reputable uh, news sites and, and uh, social networking sites, that's more safe than going to some site you've never been to before. You don't, But sometimes you're doing research. You want yeah. to go to some questionable sites, right? You might want to use a virtual machine for that. 
Those are, you know, free. You can a uh, virtual machine on your uh, Mac or on your Windows machine. You mean like just, a VPN or yeah, something? Yeah, no, no. I mean like uh, just another little virtual computer on your computer, like something like VMware. Right. Yeah, so you just launch this, you turn on this virtual computer and use it to uh, right. visit the, the right. questionable site. Because then if it compromises your computer, it's really only compromising your virtual machine. That all sounds like a lot of work. I think that's pro- I mean that's kind of the problem, yeah. right? Most yeah. people just I think you're exactly right. Using a virtual machine is a lot of work. Using a separate dedicated computer, not so much. But uh, we make the same mistakes criminals do. Criminals, if they always followed good opsec, they rarely would be caught. But they get lazy, and they they reuse email addresses, they reuse computers, they make mistakes that allow us to catch them. And I think victims are the same way. If we followed really good security hygiene, we would rarely, if ever, be the victim of crime. The problem is we take shortcuts. You know, right. we say, I know that machine is yeah. the one I use for banking, but I'm just going to do it this one time. And that's, yeah. when, and that's when badness happens. And, that, and this is a bit of a tangent, but it's the last question I'll let you go. How much of cybersecurity is kind of security theater? Because I feel like, especially around here, there's, you can't swing a cat and not hit a cybersecurity company. And they all claim this is what you need. They can't all be right. Yeah, they're not. I think uh, most security professionals, they'll have an agenda. So they tell you what you need is what they're selling. We're entirely data-driven here. That's what my entire team does is we just pour over data. So uh, we just let the data tell us what facts are because the data doesn't lie. So I would say as a consumer, I would just say, do a lot of research, but focus on the data. Challenge any recommendations you're getting. Question the person who is giving you the recommendations. Are they just recommending the, that you buy the box they're selling? Or are they saying, look, to be honest, what you need is X and I don't sell X, so go find X. Right. Yeah, the short answer is yes. I think everybody's got an agenda, so you should be very wary of uh, the advice that you get from security professionals. And that is all the time we have. So I guess the question is, are you going to buy a second computer just to do online banking? Thought not. Just going to kind of just have to hope for the best. I want to thank Dan for taking the time. It's always a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, stop on Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. You can also find me, or you can always find me, in the newspaper, in the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, on the Twitter, at Danny Fortson. Or email me, if you so desire, at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is all I have. I will leave you until next week. Thanks. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 